Thanks for joining us for today's edition of Lessons for Living. His word so fresh in our hearts abound. His word made flesh in the here and now. A new life is beginning. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. You see, within you is a part of man that's separate from my body. It's separate from my emotions, and my mind, and my will. It is a part of me that will live somewhere forever. See, the most valuable thing, the most important thing you want to ever consider in your life is where you're going to spend eternity. And so I want to ask you this morning, what are you doing with the most valuable thing that you have? Today, Pastor Mark starts out asking us a very important question. What's the most valuable thing you own? It might surprise some people to find out that it's nothing that has tangible or monetary value. Now, you could debate the validity of that statement, but when it comes down to it, when you come to the end of your life or the end of yourself, that argument would be in vain. The answer is, of course, found in Scripture. Listen in as Pastor Mark skillfully examines and reveals what God's Word claims should be the most valued thing you possess. Remember, there's quite a few ways to receive a copy of Pastor Mark's teaching. We'll be sharing all that information with you at the close of this broadcast. Now, here's Pastor Mark in the book of 1 Kings, chapter 3, verse 9, with his continuing study entitled, Be Wise, Win Souls. Turn to the Old Testament to 1 Kings chapter 3. 1 Kings chapter 3. We are finishing the book of Proverbs this morning. As you're turning there, I want you to think about something. I'll have four little keys for you to write down a little later and to judge yourself as you go through the teaching this morning. But one of the things I want you to think about, what is the most valuable possession you own? What is the most valuable possession that you own? Now, most people, when they think about that, would probably say, well, really, the most valuable thing I own is, you know, used to be your 401k. (laughs) Notice I use the word past tense, used to be. Well, no, probably most of you would say the most valuable thing I own is my life, my breath. I'm alive. Well, that's true. Only partly. Let's take a look at what Solomon did when we talk about the value of a life, of a human life. In 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 9, we'll start there in a moment, Solomon had just been made king over Israel. And as he stood there looking over all of these people, he was a young man. He said to God, help. I don't know how to lead these people. I don't have enough wisdom to lead these people. What can I do? Well, God came to him in a dream, and he said to Solomon, Whatever you ask for, I'll give you. 
Now, that's a great question. If God came to you, then what in the world would you ask for? Whatever you ask for, I'll give you. Well, look in verse 9. Here's Solomon's prayer. So give your servant, Solomon, here's what he asked for. A discerning heart to govern your people. In other words, I want a heart to know how to manage this group of people. And to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern these people of yours? Look at verse 11. So God said to him, Since you have asked for this, and not for long life, or wealth for yourself, nor have you asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment and ministering justice. In other words, Solomon, you've done good. You asked for the right thing. You didn't ask to pleasure for yourself or riches or get rid of the enemy. You asked for help to lead my people. I like that. Look what he says in verse 11, God. Excuse me, verse 12. I will do what you've asked. I'll give you a wise and discerning heart. So there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. So God says, because you asked for the right thing, Solomon, wisdom to to direct people, make decisions to help people live for me, you'll be the wisest man ever created. Immediately after this, Solomon gets a chance to put this into practice. You see, the wisdom that we've learned through the book of of Proverbs isn't stuff to put up here and say, oh, I got it on the wall. It's stuff that goes in here, how to live life. That's what wisdom is. How do I do life right? That's what we need in our lives. Well, look down at uh, uh, verse 16, and we'll start this very interesting story. And I want you to be the person... See, see, in those days, the king would stand there and people would come to him with their problems. And he would try to give wisdom how to solve their problems. Kind of like a little counseling session. Well, look in verse 16. Now, two prostitutes came to the king, Solomon, and stood before him. And one of them said this, My lord, this woman and I live in the same house. I had a baby while she was there with me. The third day after my child was born, this woman also had a baby. So we have two ladies in the home, both with brand new babies. We were alone. There was no one in the house but the two of us. Now during the night, this woman's son died because she laid on him. In other words, she rolled over and accidentally suffocated her child. So she got up in the middle of the night and took my son from my side while I, your servant, was asleep. And she put him by her breast and put her dead son by my breast. The next morning, I got up to nurse my son, and he was dead. But when I looked at him closely in the morning light, I saw it wasn't the son I had born. The other woman said, No, the living one is my son, the dead one is yours. But the first one insisted, no, the dead one is yours and the living one is mine. And so they argued before the king. So they have two mothers, two children. One of the children died during the night. One of the mothers claims that the babies were switched. And the mother who suffocated her child switched her baby to the living one. Now you're before Solomon. You're Solomon. How do you make this decision? I mean, this is a very difficult case. This is before CSI. (laughs) There's no DNA. You can't draw on and go, no problem, easy case, two minutes, put some more things in the story. This is nothing. What would you do on a day like that? 
There's no identification. There's no way. Well, Solomon had asked for godly wisdom. By the way, we're just discovering the, the interesting things of DNA. Who designed DNA? <laughs> We've got a long way to go. So God was going to give Solomon exactly what he asked for, wisdom. But look how strangely this wisdom comes. Verse 24, the king said, I'll solve this. So the king said, bring me a sword. So they brought a sword for the king. And he gave an order. Cut the living child in two. And give half to the one and half to the other. Now you have to stop and say, that's godly wisdom. This doesn't sound very much like God. Watch. The woman whose son was alive was filled with compassion for her son. And said to the king, please my lord, give her the living baby. In other words, give her my baby. Don't kill it. Whatever you do, don't kill my baby. Even if she has to have it, my baby will be alive. But the other said, neither I nor you shall have him. Cut him in two. Verse 27, then the king gave his ruling. Give the living baby to the first woman. Do not kill him. She is his mother. When all Israel heard the verdict the king had given, they held the king in awe because they saw that he had wisdom from God to administer justice. You see, God gave a very strange commandment to Solomon in response to Solomon's desire to have wisdom to live in this world. What we see here is God gave wisdom that this baby's life might be saved and the child allowed to grow and mature. This valuable asset, a life, was allowed to grow. Life is valuable, but it's not the most valuable thing we own. That may surprise some of you. There's something more valuable than our physical life. Turn with me to Proverbs 11, verse 30. Solomon is going to tell us something that's more valuable than our own life, our own breath. And he's going to make it very simple for us to understand. Remember, the whole book of Proverbs is how to do life right. Proverbs eleven thirty. Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, said this from God. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. In other words, if you and I are Christians, from our life comes healthy things that can cause other people to have life. And then he ends this great verse with this. He who wins souls is wise. Solomon says that the soul, the real you and me, the part of me that's going to live forever is the most valuable thing that you have this morning. It's the most valuable thing I have. That soul there means our life, our eternal life. So the most valuable thing in all the world is my soul, is your soul. It's the part of me that's going to live when I die forever. Well, a thousand years later, after Solomon, Jesus made this statement. It's found in Mark 8, 36 and 37. Jesus said this, What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? So the most valuable thing that we have this morning is our soul. 
You see, within you is a part of man that's separate from my body. It's separate from my emotions and my mind and my will. It is a part of me that will live somewhere forever. See, the most valuable thing, the most important thing you want to ever consider in your life is where you're going to spend eternity. And so I want to ask you this morning, what are you doing with the most valuable thing that you have? How are you taking care of it? Do you know where it will go? You say, well, I have plenty of time. Really? How much time are you guaranteed? Today. And Solomon says something else. Look at the verse at the end. He says this, he who wins souls is what? Is what? So what does he mean by that? Godly wisdom leads a Christian, a person like you and me, to invest time and energy in the work of God's kingdom, especially in the task of introducing others to Christ. So Solomon says this, the wisest thing you can do after you take care of your own soul is to invest energy and time as God opens doors in introducing Christ to other people who don't know who he is. The wisest thing you can do. Now I'm going to give you four things this morning that show us how to do that. And I want you to rate yourself as we go through these things. They're going to be very simple. But the greatest privilege I have this morning is to be able to introduce, I mean as a pastor, what a joy. To be there and teach all those times and share with those people and introduce people to Christ. What a joy. But see, I did that before I was a pastor. I did that when I was a hospital pharmacist for all those 25 years. I had people come in the office and we knelt in the office and I led them to the Lord. See, I had the privilege of introducing them to he who wins souls is... You didn't say it with much enthusiasm this morning. Wise. So let me ask you a very simple question. Hey, you answer it. See, this is a very pointed this morning. You can't say, hey, this sermon's for you, or this sermon's for you. Pass that back, would you? I don't want it. Most people agree with what I just said. Most Christians say, man, the most important thing is introducing someone to Christ. Because really, how did you become a Christian? Someone did what? Introduced you to what? Christ. Could have been in your home, could have been in the street, could have been at the shop, could have been at school. Some, radio, someone introduced you to Christ. Now because they did, you're a Christian. So most Christians would go, oh, I agree. Most important thing in all the world, man, share that gospel. I really agree. The problem is, most Christians never share. Never share the gospel. Now what does that mean this morning? That means for you and I... We have to do something about it. So we're going to look at what God does. Take a look with me. Turn to the book of Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. Now, this is Christ. Four little keys. We'll go through them very quickly this morning. But we need to imitate what we see. Matthew 9, 35. The first one you can write this morning is go. And right behind the word go, just write action. Four little keys. Go. Action. Jesus went through all the towns and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. Jesus went to where the people were with the good news. Jesus was active in the marketplace. 
Jesus didn't stay in the synagogue. He went to where the people were in the marketplace. The first key is go. Why did he go there? Because of this. Thomas Aquinas said many, many hundreds of years ago, there is within every soul a thirst for happiness and meaning. You see, every person created was created to know God. And until that knowledge of the true God happens in their heart, they're always in the bottom line searching for something. Because life wasn't designed to bring fulfillment without a personal relationship with Christ. Linda and I were in Singapore and we sat down with the leadership and they wanted to take us to this little local market uh, to have a kind of a local breakfast. Now we're into that. And, and we were in this food court and if you've never been to Singapore, you, you can get a meal for three bucks, just a fabulous meal. There's every kind of food you can imagine. Well, in these food courts, there was these two rows of little shops They'd be about, uh, about a, a quarter size of this platform. And there'd be probably 25 of those in these two rows. All different kind of food at every single one. Unbelievable. Well, this side was the Malay side. People from Malaysia. They're Muslim. Well, right next door, there's another two rows. Same kind of thing, 20, 25 shops. And they were Chinese kind of meals. Every single shop, a different Chinese meal. They're Buddhist. So we were sitting in the Malay side. We had this Malay breakfast. Very interesting breakfast. Never tasted anything like it, but it was good. And I said to the leadership, Did Jesus die for these Malay people who are working inside this, all these food shops here? They're Muslim. Did Jesus die for them? What do you think? Yes. Well, sure. And then I said, well, let's go next door. I said the Chinese, and, and most of the leadership of that church happens to be Chinese. They have Indian and some others, but the leadership happens to be Chinese. And I said, did God die for them? Well, that was an easy one. Sure, sure, for the Chinese. Even the Buddhist. He said, well, that's a common answer. I mean, that, that's a no-brainer. Why do you even ask that? Because of this. I noticed the last time I was there, and I, and I saw a little bit sense of it, but it had improved significantly, but I still saw a problem. In this little church in Singapore, they have this inward attitude. They're kind of happy with who they are. And they got a nice church and lots of families and the kids are taken care of. And it's kind of like, let's just enjoy what God's given us. And I came over there. One of my reasons was to see if I could help change that mentality. Because that is not the mentality of the Bible. See, the church can't be something that's inward. And you might be here this morning and saying the same thing. Well, Pastor Mark, don't tell me this church is going to get bigger. I'm tired enough for the note. Too many people. Too many people. Is that the way God looks at us this morning? I mean, in America, we have the same thing. And some of you might have that, that same kind of that attitude. Us four and no more. It's fine. I want you to see a problem. Now, many people look at the church as an aquarium. We come and we get fed. I mean, how many have had an aquarium? You know what it's like. How many don't have one now? Yeah, they die. They think that's exactly right, man. I, nobody ever keeps one long. They always go to the junkyard pretty cheap, don't they? I mean, and then you have to go buy them fish again. Man, they're expensive. But you know, you know what you do. Right at the top here, what do you drop in? 
Yeah, food. And so the fish are always doing this, what? So you would do fish like this. And that's what a lot of churches are. Feed me, feed me, feed me, feed me, feed me. Give me something, make sure it's very simple and easy. And I'm going to spend the rest of the week just doing my thing. That's not what God designed. But that's what many of the churches in the United States are, as well in Singapore. And I challenge them. Let me show you another picture. This is from a hatchery. The end result, you know what they do with a hatchery? They take these little fingerlings, and they also (laughs) feed them. But when they get about this size, they put them in the back of a truck with a tank of water, and they pour them out into the stream so that these fish go out as little fingerlings now, a little bigger, and what do they do out there? They reproduce. That's the picture of a vibrant church. So yes, we're here this morning to be fed. That's good. But then we're supposed to be what? Answer me. Growing. And then we're supposed to what? Go to the waterways of the world. With what? The good news. You see, you and I can't... And this is a problem with the church. This is a huge problem with the church. And the first thing I shared with you here, it said this. Go. Jesus didn't sit in an aquarium. He didn't sit in the temple. He went to where the people were. Well, where are the people this morning? They're in the marketplace. They're at your place of work. They're at your neighborhood. They're at your schools. Same for me. So God designed us not to sit around in this little aquarium and look pretty. Drive our cars in. Get fed for an hour and a half. And drive our cars out. And not pay attention to the marketplace where we live. So here I am sitting with these brilliant guys and saying to them, Why are you at church? Is it for your family of a hundred 125, just to kick back and take it easy? Let me ask you this morning, why are we here? Solomon said it like this, He who wins souls is wise. wise." Well, who is that he? Let's see him. Come on, I'm waiting. I'm waiting. Those that don't raise their hands, I'll have up the altar here. I'm waiting. (laughs) I'm waiting. It's us. Now, What is the message that needs to happen there? Well, we see the next key, really. Look what Jesus says. Here's the first thing is go. The second one is word, word, word. What was Jesus doing when he went? He shared the gospel. He he taught, he preached, he touched people's lives. So the, the next thing that we need to do when we go, we have to be able to know what to share. Well, what do I share with people? just learned that the most valuable thing we possess is our soul. In today's society, lost people have a hard time placing value on earthly life, much less eternal life. As a Christian, if you don't know already, you should be learning that it's wise to actively invest your time and energy in the work of God's kingdom. Ask God to show you the open doors, especially the ones that lead to introducing others to Christ. Social media is a huge blessing that most of us use every day. We want to encourage you to become our Facebook friend and follow our Twitter feed. 
At the Facebook page and Twitter feed, we post information about upcoming events, discipleship articles, and encouraging quotes that will inspire you in your walk with Jesus. Log on to LessonsForLivingRadio.com and follow the links to the Calvary Chapel Melbourne Facebook page and Twitter feed, or simply search for Calvary CCM on Facebook or Twitter. We even have a specific Facebook page for the Vieira campus. Simply search for Calvary CCM and you'll see the Vieira Campus Facebook page in the search results. Again, to like our Facebook page and subscribe to our Twitter feed, log on to LessonsForLivingRadio.com. Again, our web address is LessonsForLivingRadio.com. Next time on Lessons for Living, Pastor Mark will share practical things we can do as Christians to wisely invest our time and energy in the work of God's kingdom. He lists some important steps patterned after the life of Christ to assist in our endeavor. We'll learn how to walk, talk, pray, and think like the one who did it best. Make sure to tune in for this essential message on how to do life right by being wise and winning souls. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Mark continues teaching through the book of Proverbs. That's next time on Lessons for Living. Have seen and our ears have heard his word made flesh in a hurting world. A new hope he is giving. Lord, let us hear.